If you've got an idea for the next great invention, you're in good company. The U.S. Patent and Trademark Office has approved more than 10 million domestic patents in its more than 200-year history. And with new applications coming in every day, it can be hard for examiners to sort out new concepts from what's already been patented. Andre Iancu is director of USPTO. He tells Federal News Network's Jory Heckman how the agency is testing artificial intelligence and automation to sort through all of this information. So it's actually much more than 10 million, right? Because uh, there are 10 million U.S. patents that have been issued to date. Obviously, more than that, number one. Number two, there's all sorts of international patents issued in foreign countries, issued in other jurisdictions. They also could be a source of prior art. And then on top of that, there is what we call non-patent literature, the corpus of which is growing exponentially. We happen to live in an age of, of a publication explosion. We have been in the midst of a publication explosion for quite a few years now. And the amount of literature out there that is potentially relevant to any particular patent application is growing at a very fast pace. And all of that theoretically needs to be searched to determine whether a particular patent application is novel and non-obvious. So given the growing number of prior art references out there for any particular application, our examiners need better, faster tools in order to address all this growing corpus of art. And AI would be a fabulous tool if we can manage to uh, develop it and give it to our examiners. We're a ways away from all that. We're working at it and we're making progress, but it's a complex issue. I do hope, though, that we're going to get there. In your perspective of things, are there perhaps low-hanging fruit or use cases that are more realistic in the short term as opposed to some of these more complex issues that would take longer to develop the actual infrastructure behind it? Is there any kind of tier behind all of this? Yes, absolutely. So um, what we just discussed in the prior answer with respect to a full prior art search, you know, that is the ultimate goal. But there are quite a few achievements that we can make along the way. I'll give you a couple of examples. So first, image searching. Image searching using AI tools and machine learning is already at a quite advanced stage. And um, I think we have made quite a bit of progress in the development of image search tools. So that's one example where I think we can have implementation sooner than the full scope textual prior art search. Another example is what we call synonym expansion tools. When we search for prior art, the primary tool nowadays is to construct a word query using Boolean language and and the like to um, search through various databases. Well, to some extent, the search results will be only as good as your query is, right? And the words that are being chosen by an examiner for that query. Our examiners are very good at creating their queries. They have lots of training and experience in that. Having said that, nobody's perfect. So we are creating a tool that helps the examiner once they create the basic query line that our machine learning tool can expand each word into its various synonyms that might be relevant. And that tool, the development stage of that tool is quite advanced. A couple of other things that we are working on, such as classification. So this is not searching. An application comes in, we have a whole classification code. Every country has classification codes so that we know where to route it, which examiner to write it to, which art unit and the like. It's based on technology that's disclosed in the application and so on. 
Well, we're working with electronic tools and developing machine learning tools that can help us automatically route the applications as they come in. That would be a significant uh, help for the processing of the incoming applications. So those are just some examples. And on that last example, it seems like the AI tool in that case would serve as kind of the traffic controller of deciding where it makes the most sense to send you know, an incoming application. Exactly. And that is being done right now. A lot of it is manual. We do have some electronic tools already, but it would be great to have, uh, and we are working towards having machine learning tools, artificial intelligence tools, to help us in that routing process. Right, right. And that actually touches on something I hope you could explain in maybe a little bit more detail. We've heard a lot of these phrases said in the same sentence of AI, of machine learning, and even robotic process automation. And they seem to be clustered around a lot of the same ideas, but I understand the sophistication behind that technology. There's gradients to all of that. And so if you could just spend a little bit of time unpacking the ideas of what each of those really entail. That is a very complex uh, question and complex issue. People talk about AI as if it's one thing, but you have correctly identified it's actually a very complex set of technologies. And every time we speak about AI, one of the first things we need to do is to try to define exactly what AI means. Suffice it to say that when we speak about artificial intelligence or machine learning tools, there is a wide spectrum of technologies that come into play. The fact of the matter is most people would recognize that they already are encountering a lot of what folks would consider artificial intelligence tools in their daily lives already. On your smartphone, for example, you know, you're beginning to type in a phrase or an address or the name of a restaurant, whatever, the automatic filling of the predictive filling of the rest of your query, that is a form of artificial intelligence your computer at home or various automated devices in your home do, they have all sorts of artificial intelligence components. When we talk about machine learning, there's a lot of overlap here. So machine learning, you think about situations where the machine gets better at the task it does based on the prior experience it has with that task. So you're doing repetitive tasks on that in that particular computer program, you're interacting with a human, the human corrects the results of the uh, computer program, and over time, there is an iterative process where the computer learns from those corrections and gets better, and the predictive results improve. And for that aspect, data sets and training data sets are critically important. When we think about some of the things we're doing here at the PTO, the stuff that we have already discussed, for example, image searching, synonym expansion, and the like, those could be considered as AI or machine learning tools because the idea is to get better, to give you better synonyms, for example, after significant use and the examiner responds to the synonyms that have come in, you know, I like this synonym, I don't like that synonym, and so on. The machine would learn from that data and improve. Same thing for image searching, same thing for classification systems and the like. So this barely scratches the surface, but as you can see, it's the complex, complex issue. Right. Well, well, thank you for giving me the brief version of that. But just want to change gears a little bit. You had mentioned, especially when it comes to routing applications to uh, examiners, that's currently a manual process. Something we hear when we speak with agencies about use cases for AI, they really do think of it from the workforce perspective and trying to get a better sense of what 
these human employees will do with their free time for, you know, these rote tasks, these manual tasks that AI and machine learning can do more quickly and and just as efficiently. And so I just want to get your sense of what conversations are being had at USPTO and what potentially USPTO employees could do with these these freed up hours in their day once these AI use cases kind of flourish and they begin to take effect. The way I look at AI or automation tools is that they are just that. They're a tool. They're another tool, perhaps a better tool, in the set of tools that our employees have to, uh, to do their jobs. You know, folks for a very long time, since the beginning of the Industrial Revolution, have always worried that the next automation step will displace jobs and the machines will take over and people will be, you know, losing their jobs and their skills and the like. But what happens over time, just looking back at history, which I think is likely to be similar for the future, is that humans use the uh, improved automation tools in their daily work. It allows them to do their jobs better, to do their jobs faster, and as a result, be able to do yet additional things that until now we couldn't have done. Overall, it only improves the work individuals do, and I think that's true here at the PTO. Overall, the goal here is to enable, to provide additional tools for our examiners to do their jobs better and faster. And and I think that that's what machine learning tools uh, can help us do, especially in the face of uh, an exponentially growing body of prior art. Right. And, you know, I want to pivot the conversation a little bit here. We've been speaking a lot about the agency's workforce. I want to speak perhaps maybe more to the folks that the agency deals with and its customers. I wanted to get a better sense of this new cognitive assistant that the agency is calling Unity. I know a lot of agencies have worked on chatbots for their websites to help users on those websites navigate services more easily. Is that what Unity is? Or could you give me a better explanation of what what that tool Unity is and, and what it does? So the Unity tool is a platform that enables us to prototype and assess the usage of various forms of AI for a wide variety of use cases related to patent examination and to do so in a faster fashion. So we've made it available to a select group of internal users, subject matter experts to undertake this assessment. And uh, bottom line is for now, the most promising functionality of the Unity tool has been prioritized for inclusion into examination tools. So examples of the functionality using AI techniques that we are pursuing includes assistive patent classification that I have already discussed to automatically assign classification symbols based on the document text and semantic document clustering and visualization. There are also aspects of searching at the same time, unified fashion, so to speak, in multiple databases. Um, But in any event, it's early days and we're still testing and we're not yet ready for operations. And something else I want to get better understanding of is obviously with any AI tools, there's a lot of data that goes behind the scenes and also the IT infrastructure needs to be up to par as well. And so I understand that USPTO recently completed a major IT upgrade to its patent application locating and monitoring application or PALM. Could you just give me a better sense of how those improvements might perhaps pave the way for for AI adoption at the agency? Yes. So not just for AI adoption, but all the work we do here at the USPTO, including 
current and future uses of AI, requires stable systems. Stable systems are key to ensuring consistent and reliable examination of the uh, patent and trademark applications that we have here. We uh, successively transitioned a critical part of our Palm application uh, to a new, more modern, more stable, and more resilient server platform. The platform that we had uh, here prior to this was almost two decades old, but we've retired it now. And uh, just a couple of weeks ago, over the Memorial Day weekend, I believe, um, we transitioned to a new platform that's a thousand times faster, 20 times more efficient, and far more stable and less prone to failure. Bottom line is the key is this. We want to minimize failures, although we recognize you can't ever eliminate every single failure. So in addition to minimizing the failure, though, we want to make sure that when we do have failures, we can recover in a much quicker fashion. So that's the stabilization and modernization effort we are focused on right now. A, minimizing the rate of failure. B, when there is failure, being able to recover much quicker. So making this one change to one aspect of our Palm platform is a very good beginning. But I want to emphasize, it's just the beginning. This was just one step in a long journey and um, much work remains ahead. But the good news is that they're fully committed to it. There's full buy-in from both the patents and the trademarks organizations. All right, very good. The last question that I have here for you, Director Iaku, um, I want to pivot once again and talk a little bit more about the innovation, the patent community, and this may be you know, a big concept to end on, but I want to get your thoughts on there's a lot of conversations right now that government and the private sector are wrestling with the black box notion of AI, the transparency of some of the determinations that these AI tools come up with. I know that USPTO has updated its Section 101 guidance when it comes to the patent eligibility of some of these AI tools, but give me a better sense of what some of the big question challenges are for USPTO going ahead in the, in the years to come. Yes, this is a good and big question. Uh, this is the second aspect of work on AI. So the first aspect that we have discussed until now was the use by the USPTO, by the USPTO itself, of AI tools in our own work. Second issue, which you're asking about now, is what policies do we need to have in place in the United States when it comes to intellectual property protection with respect to AI? And you've identified one of the most important difficulties when it comes to IP protection for AI, and that is that some of the AI processes are able to be created in a, some sort of a black box environment. But that's just one of the issues. There are other issues. So what are we doing to address this issue? First of all, we have an internal task force that is focused on this exact issue. It has members from all aspects of IP policy, uh, patents, trademarks, and the like, and other members as well. They're meeting regularly discussing this issue. We're going to reach out to the public uh, to solicit their views as well. But some of the issues. First of all, as we just discussed a few minutes ago, one of the first questions is defining the scope of AI to begin with. There are many definitions out there. So to answer some of the big questions on policy, we must first determine, generally speaking, what we mean when we refer to uh, AI technology so that we can assess exactly what we are dealing with when we're talking about IP protection for that type of technology. Another question we need to grapple with is whether the current legal concepts of an inventor need to change. For example, under what circumstances, if any, could the machine become an inventor, right? So if the machine gets smart enough, it itself could create technology. Would the machine be an inventor or co-inventor? 
with respect to patent eligibility and Section 101 that you have mentioned. Uh, we did issue new guidance. We have very much in mind the need to protect AI technologies into the future. So we need to consider what is the scope of eligible subject matter when it comes to AI invention? What about the algorithm that is part of the AI? What about the results? What about the database structure? What about the data sets that are used to train the machine learning algorithm? Are the current forms of IP protection that are commonly known, patent, trademark, copyright, trade secret, are they sufficient to address some of these issues? Might we need new forms of IP that might be needed with respect to some of these technologies? So we're studying that issue as well. The answer is not all that clear yet. Other things a bit more technical, does AI impact the scope of the level of ordinary skill in the arts when it comes to patent examination? Or what level of detail should be required for an AI-related application to comply with a written description and enablement requirement of patent application? Those are disclosure requirements under what we call Section 112 of the Patent Code. They apply, those disclosure requirements apply to all applications, obviously, including AI-related applications. But if the invention occurs in a black box environment, such as your question suggested, where a human cannot readily understand how the invention was actually developed or created in every detail, or perhaps how even to replicate it, well, do the disclosure requirements that we have in the law now suffice, or do they even meet the challenge? Can, can, can they even answer the question to begin with? So we're looking at those complicated issues as well. Patent and Trademark Director Andre Yanko.